Thank you. May be seated this morning. God is good, and all the time. And I'm so thankful to be back here today. Is uh, I was uh, we were blessed to be on vacation last Sunday, and thank you to uh, uh, Pastor Carlos who preached a wonderful message last week, and uh, really a challenge and a charge to our graduates as we got to honor them. Uh, last week. Uh, And then if you'll notice over here in this section that is somewhat empty, uh, usually it's filled with our youth. And right now they are in the family center getting ready for the dinner and dessert auction. And so I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thinking a lot about dessert. How many of you already went through the gym and just like picked out some of the desserts you might want to get? All right. So I did that earlier. And uh, so, man, I'm excited uh, to get out of here, just to be honest with you. But was we were worshiping there, and I think about that song, the name of Jesus. Do you realize that the name of Jesus changes everything? The power of Jesus changes everything. You can have a conversation about church. You can have a conversation about the weather. You can have a conversation about God. But when you enter and bring the name Jesus into the conversation, it changes everything. And and I hope today that if you've never experienced the power of the name of Jesus, that today you will experience that. Because dinner and burgers and desserts and even worship and music means nothing if it doesn't point us to Jesus. Would you just bow your heads for a moment this morning before we start the message? And as we think about the powerful name of Jesus this morning, here's what I want want to guide your prayer just for a moment. Here's what I want you to pray is that, just in your own words, that God would reveal himself to you today in a new way. I want you to pray today that that maybe you've never experienced the love of Jesus, that today you would just pray, Lord, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, I want to know the love of Jesus today. Maybe today you would pray for someone in the room that doesn't know Jesus, that you would pray today would be the day they would experience God's love. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to worship this morning through our giving and through the reading of Scripture, through music. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that you would challenge us. Lord, that as we've been studying the real God, that we would walk away this morning with a clear image of who God is and what that means for us. It is in the precious and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 this morning. We are in week 7 of our Real God series, and we have had really one quote. So in the book Real God that Chip Ingram wrote, he uh, quoted another book uh, from A.W. Tozer. And this quote from A.W. Tozer has kind of been directing us every single week. Kind of really the underlying uh, I guess, presupposition of, this, of this, this sermon series. And here's what the, the quote says. What, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about 
us. And the reason it's the most important thing about us is because I believe that what you, the image you have of God, who you believe God to be, is going to have a direct impact on your emotions and on your thoughts and on your actions. And the truth is we all have some image of God or who we think God is. And the reality is that most of us have, well, let me rephrase that, all of us have a somewhat distorted view of who God is. Is. And, and our view of God is really based on probably what we've been taught. It's based on our experiences. It's based on our upbringing. It's based on all the things, right, that make us us. And so we all have this distorted image of God. And so in this series, we've been trying to bring into focus the distorted image that we may have of God and make that image a little clearer. Now, the truth is you're never and I am never going to have a completely clear view of who God is until I see God. But God wants us to know him. God wants us to relate with him. God wants us to have as clear image as we can of who he is because, again, our image of God is going to have a direct impact on our emotions, our thoughts, and our actions. Now, today we're going to talk about the real God is love. So we've been on this journey and, and kind of unpacking and trying to bring into focus maybe a distorted image. That God, we, we've talked about God is good, that God is sovereign, that God is holy, that God is wise. Two weeks ago, Pastor Nathan talked about that God is just. And today we're going to talk about God is love. So in the book of 1 John, there's five chapters in this book. And in these five chapters, they're not very long chapters, but you will find, at least in my, I, I read from the New King James Version. I really read from all of them, but the one I counted and the one I usually preach from is the New King James Version. And in this translation, there, you're going to find, if you, if you count every instance of the word or some form of the word love, in these five chapters, you're going to find it 51 times in these five short chapters. In chapter 1, though, you're going to find the word love zero times, okay? So we can just get rid of chapter one right now. It just doesn't mention love in chapter one. In chapter two, the word love or some form of the word love in, in 1 John chapter two is mentioned five times. In chapter three, it's mentioned 11 times. And of those 11 times, two of those times is the word beloved. In other words, it's talking to believers. And so two of the 11 times, it's, it's referencing who he's writing the letter to, beloved. In chapter 4, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning is, you're going to find the word love, or some form of the word love, 30 times in these 21 verses. In chapter 5, you'll find it five more times. So here's what I want you, I want you to write this down, because this is not in your bullets, it's not in your notes, it's not on the screen. I want you to write this statement down. I would like to give credit to who made this statement, but I really don't know. I've used this statement a lot, and I don't know who it's original with. And so here is the statement. You can do nothing to make God love you anymore. Write that down. You can do nothing to make God love you anymore. If you've never heard that, you're kind of processing like, what? Now, here's the rest of that statement. You can't do anything to make God love you any less. You can't do anything to make God love you any more, and you can't do anything to make God love you any less. I hope that's an encouragement to you today. Because the truth is, we all have somewhat of a distorted image of, of love. We have a distorted image of what God's love is. So let's take the time to read chapter 4. And we're going to read the entire chapter this morning, and then we're going to kind of go back and unpack it a little bit, okay? 
1 John chapter number 4. Verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And that is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Verse 4, you are of God, little children, have overcome them because he who is in you. This is a great verse. If you don't have this underlined, you probably ought to do that right now. Verse 4, you are of God, little children. This is, again, talking to believers, followers of Jesus. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Aren't you thankful for that? That greater is God in us as followers of Christ than he who is in the world. Verse 5, they are of the world, therefore they speak of, as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So these first few verses are kind of set up. Again, this is writing to believers. And then we're going to get into a lot of love, right? This mention of love. Verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Underline this, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son of the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me read that again. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have known him and believed the love of God that God has for us. Again, it makes the same statement. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in that day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. This, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now, this past week, I got the opportunity to spend, uh, we were on vacation, we went to Red River, New Mexico. How many of you have been to Red River, New Mexico? It's been a long time since I've been there, um, and I, I think the last time I was there was in high school, but it's one of my, my parents' favorite places to vacation. I think because there's nothing to do there, uh, but... So, uh, you know, this past week, June the 6th, my parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Yeah, give them a hand. I, I see my mom sitting there, but I don't see my dad sitting with her, so we won't say anything about that. Uh, 50 years. How many of you have been married 50 years or more? 
Raise your hand. Wow. There's a lot of you. Yeah, let's give them a hand. And so uh, a few weeks ago, I, I performed a, a wedding. And as I think about, uh, I'm just going to have some like, I'm going to vent for a moment. Is that, can you guys let me vent for a moment? Part of that is because I have a daughter who is, you know, maybe a few years away from getting married. And, and so hopefully she'll listen to this. But it blows my mind how much money people spend on weddings this day. And I think, what's the point? right? What's the point of all this money? And I stood there before this couple and I said, you know, a wedding day is like this Instagram worthy moment, right? Like everything is so great. Behind me was these words, the, the word love and everything looks so perfect. But I was there the day before when everything was set up and it was anything but perfect. You guys ever seen a, a bride and a groom uh, trying to get everything ready? Well, we're not going to talk about that. But I said to them, you know, love is more than a feeling. Love is more than an emotion. Love is a commitment. Amen. Love is difficult. And love doesn't seek its own. And love is not selfish. And love is not prideful. Love is not angry. Love looks out for the other more than themselves. And love, you, you, when you understand this idea of love, and, and the reality is, so on your bulletin there, it, it says here about right at the top, this distorted view of God, having a distorted view of God. When I think about my parents being married for 50 years, I, I will um, be the first to confess, and they would be the first to confess to, to you that every single day of marriage for 50 years, not every one of those days is Instagram worthy, if you know what I mean, Right? It doesn't take long in marriage to know that, wow, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. You guys are so quiet, like you're scared to show, no, my marriage was awesome. Like, I can't, I mean, I know I had those thoughts. I can't, I mean, I can't even be begin to imagine what my wife thought after that week of living with me. Like, oh, dear God, is there like, a, how do I get out of this? right? I know she, she hadn't been thinking that, right, Joy? She's just smiling. A lot of prayer, for sure. This distorted view, though, on your bulletin says, God loves me. Here's what I want you to do for a moment. You get a pen. If you don't have a pen, there's one in the pew in front of you. And I, I want you to, this is, uh, this is your engaging, right? I want you to think about this for a moment. And it says, God loves me because dot, dot, dot. I want you just to find a spot somewhere on that bulletin and write. You fill in the dot, dot, dot. God loves me because... Think about it. God loves me because... I, I, did, I did this myself because... Um, I was trying to think, is this going to work? Is it, what is, what are, I'm curious what you would put down, but I'm not going to ask you. But here's what I put. Just, just quickly thinking through this myself. God loves me because, and I, the first, my first reaction was, he has to. Uh, then I put, my, my second thought was, he wants to. And then I thought, he created me. 
The next one, God loves me when, dot, dot, dot. All right, so take a second, fill that out. God loves me. There's not a right or wrong answer. Some of you guys are stressing like you're going to have, you know, a test here. This is just your thoughts. I want you to engage in thinking about this this morning. God loves me when. Now, I think my answers are a little a little skewed because I'm a preacher, so maybe uh, this, I'm not guessing this is going to be yours, but I, I just jotted down a few first thoughts. God loves me when I tithe. I put that. God loves me when I come to church. God loves me when I don't use bad language. I'm kind of past that most of the time. God loves me when I make my bed. God loves me when I'm not late to connect group. Okay, now I'm thinking like you, not so much myself. God loves me when I load the dishwasher. Okay, maybe that's my wife loves me when I load the dishwasher. But I, I wish we had the time to, to think about what you put. What, because th- that God loves me when, do you, do you see what, that's a condition. God loves me when I do this. God loves me when maybe I don't do this. God loves me, the next one is if. God loves me if, dot, dot, dot. Take a second to write down. God loves me if. And as you're writing that down, I I asked this question to someone else this week. I said, what's your response? God loves me if. And here's what their response was. God loves me if I love him back. And no, no longer did the words get out of their mouth. And as soon as they said, God loves me if I love him, they immediately said, wait, 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 hold on. No, he loves me no matter what. Even if I love him, he, whether I love him or I don't love him, he loves me, right? Uh, so what did I put? I, God loves me if I obey him, if I'm faithful, if I love others. So again, all these are conditions. God loves me because, God loves me when, God loves me if. That's how we, as humans, that's how we negotiate love. Our love, in most cases, is conditional. And that's why, uh, the the truth is, that's why many of our marriages are failing today, because our love is conditional. And we're always looking to get something out of that person in order to love them, or in order to receive love, that we have put conditions on our love. And this, this distorted image of what love really is, is what we, even as Christians, have projected onto God and His love for us. That somehow, if I am good enough, or somehow if I do enough, then God, God would love me more. Or if I mess up, then maybe God's going to love me less. And as I begin to think through and process through this, I think there's two extremes here when we have, this, when we have a distorted image of God's love. And I, I think, again, this is why important we understand that God, what his love and what that means for us. So one of, one of the, the negatives or one of the paths, I guess, that you could go down in a negative way thinking about God's love is, is and, and this is in your outline, you might want to write it down, is resentment. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resent God because I can't live up to that standard, therefore God must not love me. If, if we think God's love towards us is conditional, one of the negative paths that's going to lead us to is this path of resentment. 
well, God created me and I can't be good enough, so he's not going to love me, so what's the point? I think the, the, the exact opposite of that, the other direction, the other path, the other negative trail you might run down is religion. You have resentment because you can't be good enough and God created you, but he doesn't love you because you can't live up to the standard. On the other side there, you have what we would call religion, that you're going to do all these things so that you can earn, somehow earn his love. And do you see the two extremes of resentment and religion? So that's why it's so important for us to have a clear view of what God's love actually means for us because it's not resentment and it's not religion it is a relationship. A proper view, a, a clearer view, an understanding of God's love for us is that God's love for us involves relationship. So let's unpack that this morning. You have on your outline there a couple blanks, right? You have on top there distorted view. God loves me because, God loves me when, God loves me if. But let's look at the definition, really the understanding of the real God. It says there on your bulletin, his love is sacrificial, it's unconditional, and it's boundless. So your first blank, number one, God is love. So you guys didn't need me to tell you that, right? God is love. We just read that twice. Again, verse 8 says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. Again, on the screen here, verse 16, and we, kn we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is what? Love. Not that God exemplifies love, not that God displays love, but that God is love. In other words, love does not define God. God defines love. So what's a good definition of love then? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just a few uh, books back. 1 Corinthians 13, and, and uh, this is known as the love chapter, right? And, and uh, often used at, at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. But if love doesn't define God and God defines love and God is love, then the definition of love given in 1 Corinthians 13 then also gives us a definition of who? God, because God defines love. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. is not provoked. Thinks no evil. does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never, what? Fails. God never fails. God's love never fails. Again, we can make this statement. You can't do anything to make God love you any more. You can't do anything to make God love you any less. See, his love towards me, his love towards you is not based on condition. It's not based on your performance. It's based on him and his love for us. All right, so number one, God is love. We'll look at number two. God's love, and, and you see there in your outline, it says God's agape love. And so agape love, and in the Greek, uh, there's four words that, that are used for love. You know, it's, you ever thought about the word love in our language? Because we use it in really weird terms, like I love taco casa. 
Can I get an amen for Taco Casa this morning, all right? I love Taco Casa, and I love my wife of almost 26 years. Does it, does it seem fair that those, the same word is used for those two? I love Taco Casa. Amen. I love my wife. Thank you. Does it seem like they should have the same weight? It doesn't. But in the, in, the Greek, in the Greek, the word doesn't have the same weight. There's four different words. One is the word that, that talks about love between family. One's a love between friends. One is a love between couples. And then the last one, agape love, which, which I put that word on your outline for you, is the love that describes God's supernatural love for us. Here's one of the definitions I read about this. Agape love is because of, is because of the character of the person loving. Again, talking about God. Rather than the worthiness of the object being loved, it's not based on our performance. It's love in spite of rather than because of. And the truth is, it's hard for us to wrap our, our, our minds around that really. We're so trained to, to love based on performance or to appreciate based on to performance that it's hard for us to understand that I can't do anything to make God love me anymore and I can't do anything to make God love me any less. It's his agape love. Well, what is really three words there on your outline that I think that kind of define, I don't know if completely define, but I think a good starting point of what agape love is. Sacrificial, unconditional, and boundless. God's love, his agape love is sacrificial, it's unconditional, and it's boundless. Well, let's look back in our text this morning. 1 John 4, 9 through 10, that kind of described this for us. Verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. What is this verse saying? This is how, so God is love. It's already made that statement. But how did God demonstrate his love? How did God show his love to us. And so it says in this that God has manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be what? A propitiation for our sins. That's kind of this big word. About three weeks ago when we talked about God's holiness, I made the following statement. What the holiness of God demands, the love of God provides. What the holiness of God demands, the love of God provides. In other words, we talked about the fact that God is holy and that we are sinners. And because of our sin and his holiness, we are separated. And because of our sin, we cannot enter into the presence of God. That's what his holiness demanded. But because God loved you so much, he sent his son to make the payment of my sin so that now I could have a relationship with God. His holiness demanded one thing. His love provided a way for it. Two weeks ago, this is the statement that Pastor Nathan made. The real God's love supplied what his justice demanded. The real God's love supplied what his justice demanded. So again, we think about holiness and sin. We're separated. You also think about the justness of God because God is just. And because God made the law, God said, if you eat of the fruit, you shall surely what? die. So sin has always led to death and destruction. That's always been the punishment, always been the payment for sin is death. And because God is just, when God said, if you eat of the fruit, you will die, he had to fulfill what he said. So what his 
justice demanded, his love provided. And that's what this verse is saying. The propitiation, that's an atonement, a payment for. He paid for our sins, how? Through Jesus, through the cross. Unconditional, sacrificial, boundless love. Now, a familiar verse, John 3.16. Most of us probably could, could quote that somehow, but it's, it's on the screen this morning. And maybe you've memorized it in different translations. It would be awkward if we all try to quote it from memory. But let, let's read this together, okay? I'm going to read the reference first, and then we're going to read the verse together, right? You guys ready? Yeah, I'm not confident in that. Are you guys ready? ready. All right. For God, oh, I said something. John 3.16, ready? I'm not ready. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. So leave, leave this, the verse up here. What were the three words? Sacrificial. For God so loved the world, he gave his only what? Son. Was that, is that sacrificial love? That he would give his son? What was the other word? Unconditional. For God so loved, what is it? The world. Who does that include? It seems like it includes everyone because later it would say, whoever believes in him. For God so loved the world. Is, that, is there conditions put on that? And God demonstrated his love by sending his son. Unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's boundless. Whoever believes in him should not what? Perish. But have what? His sacrificial, unconditional, never-ending love. Think about that for a moment. The God who spoke the worlds into existence. The God who formed you in your mother's womb is what the scripture says. The God who knew you even before he formed you in your mother's womb. Sacrificed his son to demonstrate his love to you. Has anyone ever done anything greater for you than that? No. God demonstrated his love toward me. That while I was still a sinner... Christ died for me. And the understanding, the reality that it wasn't based on my performance. It wasn't based on any kind of condition. He sent his son to die for me before he even created me. He knew what, what messed up person I would be. He, know, he knows all the things that my parents still don't know that I did as a kid. <laughs> And guess what? It didn't change any way how much he loved me. And, and this morning, some of you really need to understand that and hear that. God is love. God's love is sacrificial. It's unconditional. It's boundless. And number three, which is when it really gets good, God's love is available. 
It's available for you. It's available for anyone who would be willing enough to receive it. So 1 John 4.15, which, which we already read this morning, says this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So I want you to look on the screen this morning because we have these three verses here together. I think we'll, I hope, bring home this point. So God is love. God's love is unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's boundless. And it's available. Well, who's it available for? Look what it says. First John, 1, or First John 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Who do you suppose whoever means? Okay, just making sure. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who do you, who do you suppose all is referencing there? You're like, do I say all or do I say everyone? I'm not sure. Everyone, all of us. What's, I think there's a key word there, but to all who did what? What's the next word? Receive. So there's, there's an action that you're going to have to take. The, the love is available, but you're going to have to receive it. Right. You're going to have to accept it. You're going to have to believe. Now, whether you believe it or not, God loves you. And God demonstrated his love by sending his son to die for you. But here's where the choice becomes yours. Am I going to receive his love? Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. So who do you think whoever is talking about there? Hmm. Anyone. Do you see the theme here? Verse 15, whoever. Verse 12, all. Verse 13, whoever. Here's what you need to understand. God's, God is love. His love is unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's boundless. And it's available to anyone who would receive it. So maybe you're thinking this morning, well, how should, I mean, I want that. How would I receive it? That's a great question. Let me explain that for you. You see, we talked about the, the holiness of God and that our sin separates us. We talked about the justness of God because God is just. He has to punish sin. And, and yet, because God is love, that he wanted everyone to receive his love. He wanted everyone's, his love to be available to all, for all to have a chance to receive. So he sent his son to die in our place, to pay the penalty of our sin debt. We have to understand. Uh, here's a real simple way to remember that, what, what we would maybe term as the ABCs of salvation, that all have sinned. What is Romans? 3.23 say, the wage, or, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, we're all sinners, and our sin separates us from a holy, just God. But because God is love, he sent his son to die in my place. And the B then would be to believe, believe that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he came back to life. The verse we already read, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So we're going to have to believe, admit we're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and see, confess that Jesus is Lord. 
Romans says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. In other words, the love of God would now be applied to you. This morning, maybe you've never received God's love. And I want to encourage you, in a moment, we're going, to, we're going to close out our service with a song of worship. We'll have a time of prayer in a moment. There's going to be men and women standing for this, at the stage, and we're going to be facing you as the audience. And, and if you would like to give, if you would like to receive God's love into your life personally, I would encourage you to walk down in a moment when we stand, shake someone's hand and say, I want to receive God's love today. It's very simple, and it's available for you, whoever, all. Now, the last part of your bulletin this morning, ask a question. And it says this, what if, what if you believed the real God truly did love you sacrificially, unconditionally, and boundless? So I want to think a little bit more on terms of maybe those of us in here this morning that, that there, there was a time in the past when we received God's love. I've told you over and over again, six days after I graduated high school, I finally prayed and asked God to forgive me of, of my sins. And, and I, I finally received God's love into my life. And, and so maybe you've done that. I think, though, that a lot of us still struggle with what God's love means to us. I told you earlier that I asked somebody uh, this week, finish the sentence, God loves me if, and their statement was, if I love him. Oh, wait, no, no, no. God always loves me. It doesn't matter whether I love him or not. That was what their answer was. And, but I think it reveals all of us that I think theologically we understand that God loves us unconditionally, but I think practically, most of us still live like God loves me if, or God loves me because, or God loves me when. And what has led most of us to be is we're either living in this religious world, hoping we're going to live up to the standard, or maybe we're living over here in resentment. I'm never going to live up to that. I'm never going to be worthy of his love. And what I want you to do this week, there's, there's five statements here. And I want you this week, whether you think you struggle with understanding God's love or not, because I'm just going to be real honest with you, you struggle with God's love. All of us struggle with really understanding that God loves me unconditionally. We're all, trust me, we are all performance-based. We're all, we're all performance-based in what we think of God. So, okay, this is just, whether you think you need this or not, I want to encourage you this week, every day, read these five statements. Number one, God's thoughts, intentions, desires, and plans are always for your good and never for your harm. And then I want you to get your Bible out, read the scriptures that's right there in your bulletin for you. Number two, God is kind, open, approachable, frank, and eager to be your friend. Can you think about that for a moment? What does the scripture say? I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friend. I mean, we're a friend of God. Read those verses. Number three, God emotionally identifies with your pain, with your joy, hopes, and dreams. He has chosen to allow your happiness to affect his own. 
the story there of Jesus walking up to the tomb of Lazarus. Remember what John eleven thirty five 35 says? Jesus wept. Read that. Think through that. Number four, God takes pleasure in, your, in you just for who you are, completely apart from your performance and or your accomplishments. You can't do anything to make God love you anymore. You can't do anything to make God love you any less. Number five, God is actively and creatively orchestrating people, circumstances, and events to express his affection, and this is a part you may not like, and selective correction to provide for your highest good. This morning, I just want you to rest in the reality that you don't have to live up to a certain standard for God to love you. God loves you just like you are. And if you've never received his love, please, I'm encouraging you when we stand in a moment to walk forward, shake someone's hand and say, I want to receive God's love today. Spend some time in homework this week. Would you do that? Nod your head if you're going to do that. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time and I'm going to try to wrap my brain around the fact that God who spoke the world into existence loves me no matter what. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come prepare to lead us in one of my favorite songs, How Great the Father's Love. But as we spend a moment in prayer, I want you just, just for a moment, right where you're seated, to talk to God for a moment. And this, this morning, it may be, God, help, help me to understand your love. God, it may be, God, help me to rest in your love. It, it may be, God, help me to trust that you love me even when maybe I'm not so lovable. God, we are, we are blessed to be here today. Thank you for scripture that reminds us, that teaches us that you love us unconditionally. That you demonstrate your love by sending your son to die on the cross. And that your love is available for everyone, all of us, whoever. And God, I pray this morning, if there's someone here today that has not ever received your love, that they would take a step of faith this morning. They would walk down the aisle. They would shake someone's hand and say, I want to receive God's love today. If there's someone in here that's just struggling, maybe they're resentful. Maybe they're caught up in this religious game that they would just walk forward this morning and just seek you and rest in your unconditional love for them. Would you stand with me this morning? Again, as I mentioned, we're gonna sing one of my favorite songs. And, and again, this is just an opportunity for us to close the service out in worship. The altars are available for you to come and, and to pray this morning. But if you would like to receive the love of God today, you've never done that. There's, a, there's people right here already at the front. When we begin singing, just come. Maybe you just need to pray. But let's, let's worship.
a God who's chosen to love us today.